Hey there, listeners. Before we dive into the latest episode of Head Coach U, we wanted to say a big thanks to this week's sponsor, War Room. At War Room, they understand how difficult it is to keep track of rosters from recruiting to graduation, depth charts, communication, and even the transfer portal. Their tools are there to help you keep a clean and concise roster. War Room helps programs by creating custom tools for your team's needs, from Little League all the way up to every single Power 5 conference. Reach out now at www.collegewarroom.com, all one word, and let them help you on your championship run. Broncos use College War Room every step of the way, and now you can too. Now, with all that being said, let's dive into a great conversation on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. Joined, as always, by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall and another special guest for this episode, the director of the AFCA, Todd Berry. Todd, thanks so much for joining us. I very much appreciate this opportunity. I've looked forward to it here for a while, and uh, you guys do a wonderful job, so I'm excited about being on. Well, we're, we're excited to have you. Certainly, uh, you know, you, you're the former head coach there at Illinois State, at, at Army, at, at Louisiana Monroe. And you, you know Bronco for, from your days uh, there at the AFCA. He, he was a board member. Was, was he the, the, the best board member or, or the worst board member? I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to sort that out. We were so fortunate, as Bronco knows, to have just some really uh, intelligent, cerebral guys that really cared more about football than, than they did their own place. I always, always opened up the meetings with, Let's take our university hats off and let's do what we think is great for football. And anyone that knows uh, Coach Mendenhall knows that he's that type of individual with the tremendous integrity. And he was a great board member. And quite honestly, we, we miss him. We, it's uh, his intellect and, and willingness to speak out on, on items and uh, bring different contexts to things was tremendous. Crap, this has been a pretty good podcast already. Maybe we ought to just wrap it up while the <laughs> listeners actually think I, I'm relatively competent. Um, so it, it was my pleasure. I, I don't know how many years I was on the board, but uh, for those that don't know, the listeners, uh, the AFCA is the American Football Coaches Association. And most of us that are are and were participating were members of that association. And then there's a board of directors, usually a representative from each conference and at each level. And then Todd's job uh, uh, taking over for Grant Taft was basically to, to bring to light all the relevant issues in college football at all different levels and then be the liaison and the tip of the spear to try to promote the changes necessary um, to help the game. And, and for no other reason, right, there wasn't a conference agenda. There wasn't a specific coach agenda. It was just with the intent at each level of college football to help and progress the game in a manner that would be uh, valued, right, and productive for the sake of the game, uh, not for necessarily commercialization or professionalism or for anything other than the game, right, in its purest form and the coaches and all participants. And so really a big job that Todd has and, man, and being in those board meetings, lots of really smart people, lots of different perspectives. Um, and being the chairman of the board, which is basically was Todd's position, it's a unique challenge when there's strong wills and varied viewpoints and external influences all coming together with really challenging topics to try to find a resolution. And those topics were variant by level also. And so it was almost Todd's job is almost like being president of of three or four boards at the same time uh, because of the different levels, because each one had its own challenges, right? And then working with the NCAA also, that's a whole other 
part. So anyway, that just a glimpse for our listeners as to Todd smiling now, but usually, man, that that's a job that sometimes doesn't make you smile as much. <laughs> now I'm ready to enter the in the podcast. So. <laughs> no, I, thought it, I thought you were getting ready to enter the portal, and I was like, yeah, no, okay. that's exactly right. My thoughts all of a sudden rolled to that. Yeah, there's um, as Bronco mentioned, this um, we have such a great game, and um, you know one of I had no intentions of going into coaching. I was not one of those that that had that dream going up. But it, it became very apparent to me whenever I was in college and I saw the influences that my coaches were having. And I also started getting um, these feelings about the impact of, of the game itself. And I've said this many times, Joe, uh, so much of my life is shaped by my coaches and the game. And while I'm very prideful of my education, and I don't mean in any way to distract from the educational values, because that's not my intent. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm very scholastic in, in my approach to what the game should be at the collegiate level. But all those great virtuous words that that have really molded my life and you know, leadership and courage and teamwork and dedication and sacrifice and all those great virtuous words that we all aspire to. I didn't I didn't learn those, you know, in a classroom or from a book. I really learned those from the game and from my coaches. And that is why the game is so important in my mind, because it gave so much back to me. And and people like uh, Bronco and many others that have served on our board, they understand that. And and that's kind of the intent behind the AFCA is a, a collection of coaches trying to give back to make the game as good and as possible for these student athletes that are going through it right now. You know, one of the things in, in listening to just um, why and how you're in the position, um, one of the one of the responsibilities that, that Todd has for our listeners is, is also to protect the game, right, and the integrity of the game. And wow, are there some powerful influencers and influences that uh, that make that more challenging. And what we're seeing now is that the financial component of the game is is really becoming one of the most challenging parts to manage and then probably even before that is whose job is it to manage that part right and so so todd and the board will bring do everything possible to try to bring those issues to light but that group alone isn't enough to to solve the issues and so i think todd maybe the first thing i would just love your perspective on um is 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 maybe the governing body of college football and how you see that now, where you think it might go, um, and then maybe lead into the most relevant and pressing issues that exist, which we already know um, from NIL, from the portal are the two I hear most, and I'm sure there are others, right? And the third party involvement in terms of the portal and the tampering, right? From the from the head coaches that I'm still in contact with, right? Those are the ones that, the issues that are seem to be most relevant now but, but in reality, the, the governing or the oversight component is probably where it might need to start. So I'd love to just kind of open it up and hear what you have to say that way. Yeah, I, I think that obviously the whole scholastic model is, is being challenged right now. Uh, I believe it started kind of with the Supreme Court ruling uh, that basically not just uh, blessed the NIL situation that we're in right now, but also, you know, it really condemned the NCAA as being a monopoly. Uh, and, and some would even suggest that Judge Kavanaugh's opinions after that suggested that maybe membership was in collusion 
with the NCAA. Oh. And, and so uh, that can, happened. Can you go obviously. a little bit deeper in, into the ruling uh, just and back up just a little bit? Could you go into the ruling itself and the case just for those that maybe weren't as familiar with it? Yeah, there's an awful lot of things. This was the Austin case. It went through several uh, U.S. Uh, appellate courts for a period of time, and it moved its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. It basically challenged the nature of what the NCAA was in, in terms of their governance and whether they were restrictive in giving student athletes and, quite honestly, even others opportunities to uh, gain access to all the marketplaces, that type of thing. And I, well, I understand the Supreme Court ruling, and I, I, I suggest that there needed to be, as always needed to be, uh, some some degree of uh, allowances. What, what ended up happening coming out of that, and this was uh, you know two summers ago in June, was this idea that all of a sudden that we couldn't restrict anything, and so every guardrail that was a part of the recruit, well every part of society, every business entity, every, every part of society has some guardrails, the speed limit, whatever. We kind of lost all of those because everyone was fearful of another lawsuit, quite honestly, more litigation. I see. And, and so consequently, because of that, we've ended up in this time frame to where everyone was challenging, you know, who, who is in charge of this enterprise? And who is going to enforce any of the rules that are currently on the table? Are they still on the table? And so it's been a very, very challenging time. And obviously, we were just coming out of a significant challenging time for the game uh, and for, well, for all of society with COVID. Um, and so that didn't, all the, you know, we were still not meeting together. We were not sharing those ideas that maybe the, uh, that, that needed to, be talked about, and, and Bronco, as you well know, uh, you know, one of the things that our board of trustees does, it digs really deep yeah. into these things. And we try not to be as reactive as we try to talk about being proactive. Right. And so that is the segue to, you know, four years ago, before NIL and the portal ever became in existence, we talked as a board about some of the things that we could do, understanding that this might be the direction that we would head. And one of the things we talked about was, for instance, the transfer portal windows. Yep. It wasn't fair for the student athlete to be entering in to this constant free agency, not knowing who else they were competing against for some of these things. I'm a quarterback. I'm thinking about entering the portal because maybe I'm not happy at the place that I'm at. Maybe I want more playing time. Maybe I want more NIL money. Mm -hmm. and, or I want to leverage the university that I'm at with saying, hey, listen, I'm going to get in the transfer portal if you don't give me more NIL money. And while all of that's out there, we kind of felt like that there needed to be some windows for these student athletes to look at and say, I'm this quarterback. If 16 other players are in the portal, maybe this is not the time for me to enter the portal. So that they had uh, a good opportunity to see what was out there in front of them. And I would suggest that, you know, last year, half the players that entered the portal that were scholarship players didn't end up with the scholarship afterwards. That's a fact. Well, there's something wrong with that. Somebody was giving these people bad advice mm -hmm. or they were making bad decisions. And, and that's not right. That's not uh, people should be able to have the opportunity to do what they want to do and yet have all the information out there in front of them. Yeah. Bottom line was, you know, we suggested the portal windows, you know, four years ago. And but mm -hmm. everyone thought at that point in time that that was too restrictive. And I think as we're looking at these things, moving forward, these guardrails are going to be significantly important because as you well know, right now, 
every player basically is a free agent. And these are not, we, we want to maintain the scholastic model. There's something that is wonderful about the scholastic model uh, where academics matter. And this is about uh, young people maturing and then getting a degree that's going to change the rest of their life. That's what this whole enterprise was supposed to be about. If it's not going to be about that, then we have to reevaluate kind of what is collegiate athletics. And I think that it's not just all of the things that NIL and the transfer portal are allowing. It's the challenging of what is collegiate athletics supposed to be about. And, and I, I'm really interested as we move forward, if there's not going to be some university presidents that are saying, you know, our core mission is supposed to be about educating students. And, you know, this is feeling more like being a professional farm club. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I, the perspective is so helpful to hear. I, I remember the discussions four years ago about windows and not only for the student athlete, but for roster management of your own team. So you actually know what your own team will look like rather than it being in a state of flux the entire year, um, which it just made sense for everyone. And if you look at the professional model for a moment with salary caps, similar money for all, right? If you look at, at free agency windows, that's the professional model. So back to your point, of um, the collegiate model. So there, there's um, there's this unique interplay between the collegiate model against the backdrop against higher against the backdrop of higher education and now the possibility for earnings in addition to that, right? So it could still be the academic and amateur model, collegiate model supplemented by, right? It could be that. It appears that it's heading in a way of the professional model um, almost enduring the academic model. Right. And so the emphasis is somewhere in there. And that's what I hear you saying. And and that's a unique time, especially when now you think of um, how how is that governed? So in the meantime, if we could just go maybe to the portal just for a second, right in those windows. So many of my colleagues that I'm hearing from now um, are worried about their own roster on a daily basis and and offers coming to their own team. Right. Which isn't supposed to happen. Uh, from other schools. And then if that offer is accepted, then they'll go in the portal. And then they're wondering, who do we talk to about enforcing this? So I'd love to hear if that's happening or if that's what you're hearing in the at the board level or from, you know, the constituency of, of college coaches um, and and what your thoughts are and just how, how that's working. Yeah, I, I think at this point in time, there, there certainly has been, this has been a very frustrating time for individuals that were a part of the NCAA and these other entities as I am, I'm on all these committees about who is in charge. Um, and I think there's more clarity right now that the NCAA is going to be back in charge. The athletic directors have kind of voted that direction. They brought things in front of the night commission and Congress and so on that, that the NCAA is going to main, maintain that, but it's probably going to look different and it probably needs to after seven years of doing this, the, the filters that all of these decisions are made through, you know, where you have legislation that's proposed by a conference, it goes through all this vetting process, it's voted on in January by the NCAA convention, and then it goes back to football oversight, and then, then the Division One Council, and then the Board of Governors, and there's been so many filters that by the time it got back around to final passage, that problem had ballooned mm. to something much more significant. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I think, you know, we, we have to learn, I think, from some of these other entities that are out there. 
we we are in a process of obviously changing. We have to now because the, the Supreme Court's ruled we're not going away from NIL. Right. And, and so we need to look at some of the professional models that are out there and see how they can kind of blend with a collegiate model. Yeah. But I would suggest to you that some that think that all of a sudden we're going to fix this by making them employees, that would certainly create some pro- some opportunities for contracts to keep players from transferring from place to place. I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's what some have suggested. But it's not; it's still not going to get a, uh, around the problem that you addressed while ago is these people that are buying players off other teams. Mm-hmm. Because the reality of it is, while you might be able to have a collective bargaining agreement and suggest that these players are making this amount of money, the problem with collegiate athletics in relation to the NFL model is you still have this booster group out there. You've got a booster group out there that, that quite honestly are buying players right now sometimes that our coaches don't even want because our coaches can't really be engaged in this whole process. you got boosters out there that are looking at next year's schedule and saying, I don't want to play against this guy. And so while we might not even need them, I'm going to try to buy this player off this team that I'm that we're playing this next year so we don't have to play against them. Yeah. And that part is not going away. And so that that idea of the employee model really doesn't, it addresses some issues, but it doesn't address really the elephant in the room is that what happened is that we allowed the third party engagement here like we did in the 70s. And we thought I thought we'd learn from this, but sometimes, you know, history's not always going to repeat, but it can be an indicator of what you need to be looking for. And we went through all these problems in the 70s. And quite honestly, as you well know, Bronco, oh, yeah. not as old as I am, but we fixed an awful lot of these issues yep. and, and created some more purity to the, to the collegiate model. Do we still need to make some changes? Absolutely, for more player opportunities and so on. But we can't certainly go back to the 70s to where this is, you know, they, as they turned back then, the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. And where the boosters are in complete control and the universities and presidents and coaches have lost all control. Yeah. And I'm afraid that's kind of where we're at right now. And I see some op- see some things that are happening that might change that. And I'm, op- I'm probably more optimistic now than I was nine months ago. Which, which is great for all of us to hear is the optimism, because again, the lenses you're seeing things through are usually in advance of what others will see just because you're privy to the information behind um, and the decision-making and why it's happening. So it is encouraging um, as you as you think about the challenge, right? And for our listeners and, and what Todd is dealing with and what we're all dealing with is, is uh, who regulates the boosters, right? And, and, and what entity can do that and how can that be done? And I think that's a, a fundamental question in the way right now of that because the regulation that are on them, who is the overseer of them? <laughs> and the nature in which and the laws that are involved that's a challenging issue so do you see todd at some point back to this idea of athletic directors do you think that there could be um uh, again a different tier do you think there could be a split again of maybe a more professional model kind of supported by uh, the the, uh, collegiate model and then maybe another tier that's more collegiate model kind of supported by the professional model. How do you see, or do you see that happening? Um, or or where, where do you see it possibly ending up? Yeah, I really thought it at one point in time, um, three months ago, that was the direction it was headed. Oh. I, I, I have kind of, I, I think after the CFP expansion and basically the presidents 
are the ones that got back in control rather than yeah. you know some of the other expansion of conferences and so on. And they basically said, no, you know what? You guys are all staying together, basically, because they allowed for that with the expansion of the CFP. Yeah. My, my thoughts have changed on that right now. And I think that it's going to be more, it, could it look different? Could it, a, a level underneath the NCAA look different? Yes. Yeah. Could it, are we going to separate from the NCAA and, and federate that top group? I don't think so now. I think this is all going to be underneath the NCAA. I think there's going to be some really significant challenges for some universities if uh, the NCAA does create another level about where are we at in this model? Where do we want to be? I think it's going to be extremely challenging for some of the academic institutions yeah. out there. They're all academic institutions, yeah. but we recognize that there are some that tend to be more elite. They can't take transfers. They can't do some of those kind of things. And quite honestly, in the model that's being created right now, if you're if you're not able to take those transfer athletes, then you're going to end up being a very, very young football team all the time. And while you might still be able to recruit at a high level, football is not basketball. I mean, in basketball, they proved that they can take five true freshmen and go win a national championship. That's been done. But you and I both know you could take the best 22 high school football players out there and put them on the field, and they might not be an FCS team. It, it is a different game. It is a different structure. Uh, they're certainly, from a physical standpoint, from even from a uh, intellectual standpoint in terms of all the variables, because you have so many more pieces of the, uh, the uh, chess pieces out there for the game, you know, it's a, it's a different model, yeah. and, and I think it's going to be a real struggle for some of those institutions that that uh, don't allow transfers, and some do. And I, I applaud them for it if that's their model, uh, if that's their institutional model. Uh, but I, I do think that there's possibilities. I, I don't think we're going to change the governance structure away from the NCAA. Are there possibilities that we could have some different tiers? Absolutely, and 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 maybe we didn't need that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I th certainly think that FBS and FCS, which are both under the Division One governance structure, yep. are very, very different right now. And it might serve FCS uh, a benefit to break away as Division Two and Division Three did, because that similarity between those are it's not even close anymore. I, I see that, and 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 possibly to your point, uh, for the more academically oriented and NIL supported versus kind of NIL focused with. Um, academic supported by priority, I think each, each institution will end up kind of being one of those two, right? And and so just speaking from personal experience at, at the University of Virginia and other academic institutions are similar, and I won't speak for them, but if a student athlete was after their third semester, the chance that they could transfer into UVA was non-existent. So in, in reality, um, underclassmen transfers was really not an option for me at the time I was at Virginia what was available was graduate transfers, which aligned with my beliefs. Young person gets his degree. We have a need on the field. They could then get a great degree from UVA, postgraduate degree, and be playing at an enhanced role from probably where they were transferring from. That ended up really helping us at UVA. What some of the academic institutions are facing is all the development work, as you're saying, with a young roster because transfers aren't really that can't, they, they, they can't accept them. All the development work is done and then at graduate level they leave that institution and go somewhere else and so really the developed component of their player is then benefiting somewhere else which 
we already know that's within and is supported by the courts, but that's becoming a challenge too for some of the academic institutions. And so you can pair those to others that don't have that. The idea of parity truly being present, each institution, I think to your point, will choose which model. And here's the reality is uh, as coaches, we're all expected to win, right? Results, <laughs> results are expected no matter what the challenge is. And so, and people do keep score. And so within that, it's a really unique time and place. Uh, but I, I like the idea that you mentioned that possibly underneath the NCAA, there's like a special forces NCAA, almost like a SEAL team NCAA, right? That's tasked with somehow governing, right? And oversight yeah. of all this is happening. Yeah, I, I think that there needs to be uh, um, a group of individuals that are that represent all the collective entities that are a part of collegiate athletics. So the athletic directors, the faculty athletic reps, a former student athlete, the coaches. And th that group's really charged with saying, you know what, we're going to get in rooms and we're going to collaborate and we're going to negotiate and we're going to listen to everyone else. And we represent the entirety of the group. And then that's the group that basically makes the decisions mm -hmm. and rather than all the different filters that we go through right now, because we have so many problems, quite honestly, that have collected. One of the problems right now, quite honestly, Bronco, is official visits. Oh, yeah. I brought this up last spring. You've got 56 official visits at the Division One level, as you well know. Well, in the transfer world that we're living in, if I'm a coach, then I almost have to save many of those visits not knowing what's going to happen to me in the portal. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I don't recruit high school players, which then – invariably ends the scholastic model. Right. And so the AFCA proposal was 56 official visits, still recruit the high schools. And then for every scholarship player that you lose in the portal, you gain an extra visit. I remember. And what that allows for is that allows the coach to say, you know what, I can still recruit these high school players. If we don't, and that, we've tried to get this passed for quite some time. Oversight has agreed to it. But the council is so backed up right now that they haven't approved it. And as you are, right now, we are obviously in a huge recruiting time frame. I have coaches calling me on a daily basis saying, I can't use these visits. I'm having to cancel high school visits now because of all the portal entries that I have. And again, that doesn't mean that their program is bad, as you well know, yep. because some of these players are using a significant number of these players are using this as NIL opportunities sure. to try to gain more money. Well, if more players that are in the portal are getting scholarships, then next year we're going to even have more players that enter the portal because they're going to see that that was effective for the, this last year's group. And then pretty soon we're not recruiting high school players. Right. And so there's, you know, there's some significant complexities to some of these things. And it's not the fact that, that people don't agree on what the solution is. It's that people haven't had the time to go through the process, right, and it, that there's something inherently wrong with the fact that we have a solution, but because it hasn't been able to make its work the way through the process, that we're basically adding on to the problems that we're going to have next year. Re really well said, and and I appreciate you articulating that. Um, so we're starting to see the scope and scale, and and possibly here's a, another byproduct of this, which happens yearly, and this is somewhat related, but but not really. And I'll, I'll let you kind of maybe. Bring this commentary back if you can, Todd. But uh, right, the, the 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 media dubs it the coaching carousel, right? And so here's the college football season that happens, and now increasingly, and I don't have the statistics, and, and I'm glad to be corrected if I'm wrong, but it appears that um, head coaches could be being fired earlier in the season than they've ever been. 
Um, the idea being that then the search can be more accurate, but more timely. So the new coach is in place prior to the transfer portal windows, and they can be ready and more ready to build their roster. So if we think about that for a moment, um, the example that that is setting, quite frankly, for the student athletes is coaches, right? The grownups uh, are also leaving institutions being bought, right? For more opportunity or more money to leave an institution to go to another one. And so um, the example that we have set is accelerating a time frame now that's adding a more chaotic approach. And then the young people as transfers are less sure is their coach leaving? Is their coach staying? Right. And this coach just went there. So now I'm going to leave here to go there. And so when you add a multiplying effect of not only the student athletes, but the coaches too, while wow, the compounding effect of that. And so I'm intrigued by the idea of the NFL of being able to talk to head coaches, like when can that happen? And possibly it's not till their season is finished. And then possibly the recruiting calendar gets moved back and slower, not faster. And, and maybe, this is just a theory, Todd. So I, I'm, I'm talking out loud right now, but maybe maybe the model as it shifts to address this becomes slower, not faster. And maybe one of the first thing that starts is the coaches um, when they can actually be contacted. And maybe that they can't be contacted like the NFL till after their season, right? Or after their bowl game, or, or maybe there's a certain date. And maybe that adds a little more clarity, not a lot, but maybe that at least is one component. And I, and I, I know some coaches wouldn't be, before that because of the restriction of their opportunities i'm not presenting restriction i'm just much like the portal trying to put it within a parameter and time frame so decisions can be made more accurately but i i don't know what your thoughts are regarding that and if if that would slow enough or if that would affect it at all um do you have any i, I don't does the board talk about that or or has that even come up yet it hasn't come up yet yeah. and partly because we've been kind of worried more about the recurring models than we have some of these other things but i do think it's time for us to start with those ideas. I, I, I mentioned earlier about, you know, there are other pro entities out there, the pro entities out there that we can start kind of copying and look and say, you know what, they might already have a solution for us. Mm. I think um, some of this is how things have been quite honestly spun. I, yeah. you know, the idea that you know, many of the, in the media and some athletic directors have said, well, the early signing date is what's created the need for us to let a coach go early. Well, we've had the early signing date for quite some time. Right. And that wasn't the case. We weren't having a lot of coaches. What happened was that it, I totally understand it. I just don't like the way that it's being spun right now is that it's the portal. Yeah. What changed the firings in midseason was the portal. Everybody was concerned about how fast that was going. I would also suggest, Bronco, that you and you bring up a good point is that, you know, um, last year, Okay, and I, I applaud Kirby Hoka at Texas Tech. I'm not saying I agree with his decision to fire Matt Wells. What I am saying is that he actually hired somebody in season. Mm. He, he actually looked at that. But the rest of those guys that did that, they didn't have an early hire. Yeah. They didn't make that decision earlier. What they basically did was just say, you know what, we're doing this because we're afraid of the portal and what could happen out of it. But one of the things that's happened is now if you're that athletic director, as soon as the season's over with, you better have a head coach in place. I talked to one this last week and it was a surprise that he lost his coach. And he felt like within a five day time frame that he had to have another head coach. Yeah. And he was very unprepared for that. Yeah. 
Well, when you look at all the things that are out there and the importance of hiring a head coach, and quite honestly, I'll say this too, the important important opportunities that minority candidates have to get out in front of individuals and that the old process provided for, this new process doesn't provide for any of that. Because five days, really? You're going to try to hire a head football coach in five days without exploring all of your options. Now, I, I do think that there is one problem to what you suggested is we, we do have an academic calendar. Mm-hmm. And while most of them are uh, somewhat similar, there are some differences between when that second semester starts and where this trans, you know, these transfers are going to want to have that opportunity to get to their next place, right? you know, by the spring semester. Right. And, and so in slowing the calendar down, well, I think there's some things that we can do to mitigate some of the challenges. I don't know that we're going to be able to slow it down too much because the academic calendar is going to force the issue. That makes complete sense. And I appreciate you pointing that out because that that absolutely is real. And, and that is right. That's the academic model as well that would be supported by that. So I, I love that insight and, and maybe the constraint against what I was saying of slowing it down because you could only slow it so much because each coach as well as player wants to get to their new place in time to leverage the time they have. And, and so I think that makes so much sense. You know, as I, as I listen to you, you speak and, and having been involved in some of these search processes, it's really interesting. I remember uh, having a, to make a decision within 48 hours as a coach of, do I take a job or leave it? I hadn't seen the grounds. I didn't know much other than the offer was there. And if you flip that and say now a coach choosing a player, what if that's in a 48 hour period, the chance for volatility and variability in that decision from an institution, as you said, five days, in my experience, it's been less than five days where those decisions are made. Now, what if you say we're making decisions? I don't know. We probably wouldn't choose a spouse that way, right? We, we probably wouldn't choose a business partner, which is what this is that way. And really the shorter that window and the less information, probably the more likely we are to get it wrong. And it seems like we're right in that space right now, um, which I don't know, your insights are really helpful. What, what do you see in terms of, um, or any ideas of how the third party component can be managed or ideas where there could be guardrails of any, I don't know, reality, if even that, that's the right word, right? A, a practicality or reality, how that could possibly be um, uh, guided or, or, more transparent, right, within the rules. Um, do you see anything that way that you've had great ideas or the board has presented about what we do about that or how? I, I think that's going to be the hardest part, quite honestly, Bronco. I, I really do. And, and uh, it, it's not because of not um, people not having desire to make the change. I, I think one of the challenges, and I'm not a lawyer, as you well know, I feel like I've learned, I've earned an honorary <laughs> degree in this position. Uh, but you know, we saw a program in, in South Florida that uh, was very, very aggressive with NIL money and the collectives and all that. And we heard different entities say, we're going to go after these individuals. And that individual basically responded by saying, come after me, because just because I'm a booster at a university, you're saying that I can't have the same business opportunities mm-hmm. that my competitors are having? I understand. Yeah, that's being just as restrictive as saying to an athlete that, you can't get more NIL money someplace else. And so I, I think it's going to be really, really difficult now yep. to take the boosters out. 
Now, I do think that we can do some things to try to mitigate maybe the transfer space a little bit. If this is about a scholastic model and every every data point that the NCAA has had over years suggests that if you transfer once, you lessen your chances to graduate. If you transfer twice, it's even more so. It's And we've got a player out there right now that's trying to transfer four times. This idea that all of a sudden this was a one-time transfer, that was that was a fool's errand because there was no possibility that once the NCAA gave up that scholastic argument that they could say you can only transfer one time. And so I, I do think that there's some opportunities to work into the transfer space, which right now that's where all the money is being changed hands, right? And, and every university coach, every university right now is having to make decisions about do I spend my money on my current team? Mm-hmm. Okay, or do I trade some of this money in for some new people? Or do I say, you know what, I'm starting all over again. I'm starting from scratch and I'm giving all my money to new recruits. Yeah. And and that's the other part of this that's really that people aren't talking about. These are, you know, everybody talks about the unintended consequences. Well, these are things, Bronco, as you well know, that we were discussing five, ten years ago as coaches. And they're using a lot of our straw models right now that we painted out during that time frame as fixes to some of this. But unintended means that you didn't know that it was going to happen. Well, we knew we yep. talked about this. This is not I get really frustrated with the media, with other entities that say, well, you know what? We didn't know this was going to happen. Yeah, you did, because we told you it was going to happen. Exactly. I, I remember I remember exactly when this started and, and we we shook our heads and saying, this is going to go right to the recruiting space and governance and third parties. And how, how is that going to be? We, we knew exactly what was coming, how fast it was going to come. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, now it's trying to, to address it on the back end, but with the clear idea of the difficulty of right in the free market, which is basically what you said regarding the provider of finance, right. And boosters and money, right. And within what legally might be their right, um, if you then maybe say learning from, you know, I, I don't know if it will ever be where there's a salary cap in college football, right? I, I don't know if that will ever be possible. Um, but if you'd say, okay, the NFL, at least there is an idea and a structure that puts some things in, and I'm not saying it's the same, right? But it appears that while it couldn't be possibly stopped, maybe within um, the courts, maybe within the rules of the college game, there possibly could be things agreed on that at least make it maybe more similar um, per school or maybe even more governor, governable, even if that's a word, right? Oversightable, right? Maybe maybe there's a better chance. But we, what we do know is what, it's, what it is right now is not sustainable. And I think that's that would be agreed on by everyone. The current model as of today. The chance that it's sustainable is not happening. So the felt need at some point will escalate to where change will then be be begged for. Um, I don't think we're there yet. The coaches probably are. The outside world probably is being entertained by watching how this is going, right? And it's exciting and exhilarating. Um, the sustainability, um, I think, is is short-lived. I don't know what short would mean in terms of years or months, but um, and I know you're right in the middle of that. Um, and any other issues that you see? So I, I, you brought up again the playoff expansion, which to me addresses a lot in terms of inclusion. And I, and I am for that personally. I know some aren't, but I, I love the inclusion opportunity. 
Um, and then feeling like at least when I was at BYU with being independent, I felt we had to have two undefeated seasons back to back to be considered. Right. That was at that era, right? Uh, that it's changed some since then, but what this allows is an inclusion model that might prevent the tiering that we just talked about. Um, I don't know what, what other things are you seeing with maybe what impact the playoff expansion could have, or um, as we're kind of closing out on time, any other things that might be in front of you all the, all the time is in your role. Yeah. I, I love the fact that we're in, I was at, at, in the FCS as a head coach and I saw my players go through the playoff and how much how I enjoyed it as a coach. They loved it as a player. Yeah. And I think that inclusion is important because I think it for every team, for every student athlete, you know, it might end up being those same schools that end up playing every year, but that's okay because everyone else at least had an opportunity. And that's all everybody wants. Yeah. It's a chance, right? That's what part of our game teaches is just give me a chance to prove myself. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the problems I do think in the CFP expansion, and I am really worried about this, is the idea that all of a sudden these games are going to get pushed back. One of the things that we always said was we were going to be a one-semester sport. Yeah. And we've done, as you well know, Bronco, everything that we can to protect this idea that we're going to be one semester. Yeah. Well, we're spilling in now to the second semester. Yeah. And I do worry about that that two teams that are playing for that championship, and they're going to have players that have NIL opportunities someplace else or somebody's encouraging them to go someplace else then all of a sudden I lose my starting quarterback to a better NIL opportunity somewhere else. And I'm getting ready to play the national championship game. Yep. And I, and I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do envision that we're going to have some players in this future model where it's at, that if we don't get a hold of some NIL uh, windows, some of those other kinds of things where some of this stuff is addressed, then we're going to end up those two teams playing. We're not, anywhere similar to the teams that played two weeks prior in the playoff. Yeah. And I think that's something that we have to be concerned about. Yeah. And I do think that while we need a federal, um, we need federal legislation to address the problem with NIL. And, and I, you know, I was at army, as you well know, as a head coach, I'm not really all that big in favor of big government, yeah. but the reality of it, this is a place where it has to step in. Cause right now you have individual institutions running their own NIL. You've got conferences running their own NIL. And so in trying to enforce any kind of NIL legislation or guardrails is a completely impossible because they're different every place. Mm. This is why it is so important for us to be able to move forward. There has to, as Dr. Emmert, the NCAA president, suggested, we have got to have that from the federal government. I know Tommy Tuberville, Senator Tuberville, is working on this. I've yeah. been working with that group and others on this. But we have got to have that because without that, NIL never gets taken care of. And all the problems I just suggested for the playoffs, I think even uh, become more expansive. You know, it's really, really well said and a powerful insight. One of the things back to the, the idea of, of a two semester model, which um, I think is so dysfunctional in so many ways, but here, here are the, the, the choices that that leads to. We already know the early season games before conference play. If you're saying what value does it add at co as coaches, we love to see and develop our roster before conference play. Uh, but there's going to have to be some give and take here to make this all work within the time frame. And possibly with so many or with some conferences now eliminating divisions, right? This idea that there is a championship game, maybe there isn't, right? You played your season and one was one, two was two. And that's one other week that could go away because the playoff is expanded now, right? And maybe a second place conference X team 
is that's still good enough. They get in based on the CFP rankings, right? So there are two options there of possibly making it fit, and that could be early season. And I know there's coaches right now that will argue vehemently against what I'm saying. And this idea of a championship game, well, that is, that is the reason you actually play the season, right, is to have who's first and who's second. And the playoff now expanded, quite frankly, if you use the FCS as a model. It doesn't mean it's relevant or not but they don't have a conference championship before the playoff. So the expanded playoff to me in so many ways, shapes and forms eliminates the need for the conference championship game. And I also know already others will be opposed to that because of the finances that are generated by that game. And, but the reality is the thought that this can expand past one semester, I think is way more problematic. If, if folks aren't thinking about that. Um, totally agree. It's going to be totally tough. And I and I, I I do agree with you too that from a financial standpoint, with where um, athletic programs are at this point in time, I don't see them losing the conference championship game. Yeah. Because quite honestly, what you're even hearing it. I mean, I'm driving back from games and listening to different games on the radio uh, as I you know tend to travel during yep. during the year, and I'm hearing advertisements for collectives. And what I'm hearing from all the athletic directors is. You know, these collectives are there to help buy players. We all recognize, let's call reality yep. what it is. This idea of living in this utopian society where this stuff doesn't happen, that's not, we need to deal in realities. Yep. And the reality is that the, the money that used to go to the athletic departments that were supporting female sports, that were supporting Olympic sports, are now going to the collectives. Yep. And so quite honestly, the athletic departments, they need the money right now to help support the other programs. And so the, you know, again, conceptually, this idea that NIO is going to be great for the Olympic sports and great for uh, the female sports, the women's sports, you know, that I, I always disagreed with that because I, you know, we all kind of thought that this is the direction it would head. It would head towards this collective and buying football players and that money would dry up in these athletic parts. I don't see those conference championships going away because that is just another opportunity to put money into not just your football program, but to to bankroll those other sports that are not making any money for you. And I, uh, you know, so it, it is a significant challenge. There's no question about it. And I think even as we expand, there has to be some kind of thought process about, you know, how much can these players, how, how many games can they play? Mm -hmm. We've always argued, I, I think collectively as a board, that maybe we're the only entity out there collegiate or otherwise that doesn't have a preseason game to where you can play all your players. That's a, a, a scrimmage, so to speak, if you will. I promise you, at those big universities, you would still sell 100,000 tickets. It would be like that NFL exhibition game. They still sell out. Those things are still televised. And I'm not so sure we don't need to look at a model that allows for less strain on players throughout the course of the season. I think the four-game redshirt becomes even more critically important now as we're expanding, that you're going to have more opportunities to have – more availability to your roster uh, because you're going to have guys that opt out. You're going to have concussion protocols and targeting protocols, all those things that are part of our game right now. And we need, probably need to look at kind of where that fits uh, too about, you know, it, it does, you know, is a five uh, year model. Is that appropriate? I, I don't know that it is. I'm just suggesting that we need to be looking at all of these things as we move forward, because there are going to be other problems that are created by the expansion. Yep. We all know what they are and we can address them right now rather and be proactive rather than reactive later. 
one of the constraints to that model before, and I remember hearing is right, that athletic departments didn't want to fund um, increase in scholarships, right? Or, um, and so really the way that, and I, those arguments with the money being generated or this, all the same challenges we have now, that that those are going away. And, and I'm also going to be clear, I I've been fortunate as a college head football coach, um, to be paid well. And and so, um, in no way, shape or form do I want to sound hypocritical to opportunities for student athletes. Um, and quite frankly, um, two coaches. I don't want to restrict that at all. Um, it would just be as we're working and you're working so hard is just to get clarity on the rules um, that can be enforced to help the nature of the game. And and you've said it, but in the past month or so, I haven't heard the word graduation very much in terms of college athletics. I haven't heard um, the development of the human being. I haven't heard right um, young people becoming through sport. Uh, most of it's been what we've been talking about. And I, I just would like to close uh, and, and then let you do the same, Todd. Of It's an amazing game. Um, yeah. And it's an amazing opportunity to be part of it. We've talked a lot about the challenges, but the impact, like as I've paused my career this year, the impact of being with young people, the impact of helping them in any way navigate their lives, the impact of them allowing us to do that, to help them, is a transformative journey for everyone. And I hope that we can get our arms around these other issues in a way to preserve the relational part, the development part, the academic part, while all that's happening, because it's an amazing game and it's an amazing platform. And so the work you're doing is needed and appreciated. And hopefully the listeners now are seeing just the depth of, of what your job requires and and the magnitude, I think is the right word, right? Because there's a lot happening. So any last, any things that you'd like to close with, Todd? You know, Bronco, you said it extremely well there, but, um, and I opened a little bit with that, that thought process that this is a tremendous game. And athletics is such an uh, integral part of the collegiate experience, I think, uh, not just for the student athletes, but for the student body and for the alumni later on in life. You know, to come back and say, I love State U, you know, and uh, I think that there are challenges right now for our coaches, as you mentioned, about do I try to develop a team and develop my players? Because everything that's telling that's, that you're being told right now is that you just need to assimilate a team to win. And, and quite honestly, that's a real sad commentary on on um, on collegiate sports. And, and so we, you know, I, I almost always open up my commentary on, on my football oversight meetings with, you know, we, we've got to kind of come back to some purities about this. And something else you said that really resonated with me that I say all the time is, um, if we can't enforce a rule or we won't enforce a rule, we don't need to have the rule. Mm-hmm. We have an awful lot of those things. You want to simplify yeah. everything? Oh, yeah. Let's go back to the idea of can we enforce it or will we enforce it? And if we're not willing to say those two filters that, that yes, then we don't need to have the rule because the only thing that does is that provides opportunities for those people that are trying to do the right thing. They fall behind because it's the other ones that are willing to kind of go further out, you know, and I, I think those are two of the really big challenges right now is, is what you said is that idea about what is this, the nature of the collegiate experience and what should it be? What do we expect it to be? And also this idea of how do we bring this thing back together it's going to be through this concept of let's enforce the things we want to enforce and and put up those guardrails 
and let's be proactive moving forward rather than reactive because right now we are completely reactive. And as you well know, as a head coach, as a coach, we are not reactive people. Now, we do things, but we always had an understanding of if this player goes down, this third down and five call is not as good a call. And so we had a backup. Or if they change defensive structures or offensive structures on third medium, we that's why we spent 16 hours a day at the office was going through all of the what ifs. We are very much proactive people. And I think college football or college athletics as a whole could learn from that and say, we need to go down through all these what ifs, discuss them and say, if this, then that. And that would lead us along an appropriate path where things were getting done uh, quickly and efficiently rather than, oh gosh, this just happened. And I, and I feel like that's where we're at right now. And then everybody doesn't always know what the problems are sometimes. Well, re really appreciate your commentary. One of the things that, that is so powerful is what can be enforced, but also what will we enforce? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this idea of probation, um, it does nothing, right? And it, it gives the appearance of something being done with nothing being done. And, and so possibly, and I know there's legal implications to every one of our suggestions or proposals, and so many of us are trying to figure it out, but, but think about the idea, and this will be restrictive and probably not legal, but if you think about each team could have maybe X amount of transfers per year, it might be five, and then everyone has to get together to say, okay, what, what five, what positions rather than open-ended, right? And so there's flaws in every presentation. This will be one of them. But the idea of, of you mentioned a guardrail, it, at least it might be enforceable, right? Rather than possibly 30 new players on a roster that transfer or 20 or 10, what if that was agreed upon? So it seems at some point at some level, and I'm not saying that is the answer, there could be something enforceable, right? That at least is has a chance to be enforced. And, and that to me, what you're working on, I think is the right idea. And we just... The insights that you've you've given, your time, and just the narrative is really helpful, I think, to anyone that's that's listening. And so we really appreciate you being on today, Todd. And so Brian, kind of back to you. <laughs> well, well, I, Todd, I think we like Bronco was saying we, we could probably go for for another hour or two uh, just on, on on the subject of of the issues facing the game. We'll, we'll have to have you on probably probably again uh, maybe next year after the convention um, there in a month. But uh, Todd, we really do appreciate the the time and insight, and uh, well, I'm sure we'll be seeing you around uh, given all that is on your plate going forward. My pleasure, guys. It's uh, I appreciate uh, actually the forum to kind of talk about some of these things. Uh, it, it, these are important topics and they need to be openly discussed. Thanks so much, Todd. I appreciate it. Uh, for Bronco Mendenhall, for Todd Berry, I'm Brian Fisher. Special thanks to our sponsor, War Room, and we will be right back next week with another episode of Head Coach Yield.